The book of Philippians is a truly encouraging book, is it not? It's amazing to think what Paul was going through as he's writing this, and yet can have joy. Christian, it lets us know we can have joy in all situations, and should have joy. But we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 this morning, continuing our study in the book of Philippians. You ever hear the phrase, fake it till you make it? What's wrong with that phrase? Is there anything wrong with that phrase? We shouldn't be faking it. We should be true. We should be sincere in all we do, right? Be real. There was a guy who used to tend here who he and his wife used that phrase all the time, and I'd correct him all the time. He'd say, well, just fake it till you make it. I said, no, that's not how it is. I said, be real, be genuine. He was looking at ministry. I said, you want to minister to people. You cannot be a phony. You know, it bothers me. It, tr- it should be troubling to all of us. The phony baloney that goes on sometimes, of people pretending they're something they're not. You know, every one of us have problems in our lives. Every one of us have family members that we would rather not have. Every one of us has issues in our home. Did you know there is not a such person in this world as a perfect person? There was only one perfect man who ever walked this earth. The rest of us are, lost, are, are sinners, for many of us saved by grace, hallelujah, right? But we are still sinful creatures, are we not? Now, I'm not saying come to church and hang out all your laundry, okay? So everybody knows every problem. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is if you come to church and you act one way and you're something totally different the rest of the week, it's called hypocrisy. Be who you are all the time. Sometimes I wish I could change that statement because some people, especially young Christians sometimes, do some embarrassing things, don't they? But you know what that shows? It shows that we got Christians of every age here at our church. And just as your children did some embarrassing things sometimes, right? Some of those family secrets that they didn't know were supposed to be secret that they would say publicly, and you're like, oh, how about that, right? Because that never happened in any family, right? (laughs) Well, so it is many times with young Christians. They just kind of blurt things out. Remember, they're growing. What we tend to do is try to fit people in some kind of little box, and if they fit in that box, now all of a sudden they're spiritual. I have seen people who have been told the rules to follow. When you come to church, you will do this, and you will dress like this, and you will act like this. But it was never changing their heart, and they do those things with resentment and become bitter. And eventually, they leave because they get frustrated of living this hypocritical life because it's not something they actually believe. You follow what I'm saying? Anyhow, I'm kind of getting off topic. We try to stay focused today. Remember, God is always watching. So we just finished a section where Paul talks about the exalted name of Jesus Christ and that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord. Now he tells them they need to continue to obey the Lord and work out their salvation. And we'll talk about what that means. We all know it does not mean you work for salvation, right? It's not a work salvation. But Paul has given us a reminder. It does not matter who is watching. 
God knows all that you do, and we're all going to give an account for our lives. Remember, it's God working in you and not ourselves. Let's look at verses 12 and 13. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So we're going to look out, working out our salvation, see what that means in verse 12, and then the working of God in you in verse 13. So let's ask the Lord for his guidance, please. Father, <clears throat> again, as we examine these verses this morning, please teach us and guide us and help us, Lord, to understand the importance of obedience and faithfulness to you. And we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Paul says, wherefore, or because, as we're thinking of working out our salvation, why? Or because, looking at the obedience of Christ, is that not what he just explained? So, let this mind be in you, going back to verse 5, which also was in Christ Jesus. And then it talks about his humility, his obedience, his obedience even unto death. Now, therefore, because of this, Christian, you need to be obedient. If Christ could obey, then you and I can obey. Now, remember as we were studying this passage earlier, we looked at Christ had imperfect parents, right? I've been trying to behave myself and not do a lot of work so I can recover, okay? So I've been watching documentaries on TV, and I found some that were supposed to be about biblical things. And it's amazing. I thought when you do a documentary, you're not supposed to bring your preconceived ideas to it. You're supposed to let the facts speak. But... You know, these myths of the Bible, and they were saying, and stuff of that nature. They're talking about the Virgin Mary and how she was perpetually a virgin. And I said to Susan, as I'm yelling at the TV, <laughs> I said, pretty amazing that Jesus had half-brothers and half-sisters, and she was a perpetual virgin. Now, that's pretty miraculous to me, isn't it? To you? Yeah. People pick and choose their truth. Have you noticed that? But that's another sub subject for another day. So looking at the obedience of the Christ, you and I can and must be obedient. If he could be obedient to imperfect parents, so can you and I. If he could be obedient to an imperfect government, so can you and I. If he could be obedient in all things, so can you and I. In our society today... That is not the norm. If the boss asked most people to do some menial task, they'd be like, that's not what I was hired to do. If I were had a business and I had somebody ever tell me that's not what I was hired to do, I'd be like, you're right, and time off for you is no longer a problem. Why do we think we're above certain tasks? Did Jesus not lay aside his garment and gird himself with a towel and wash the disciples' feet? Then you and I, Christian, must learn simple obedience. You know, we teach the children about obedience, right? We have a song about it. Obedience is the very best way. And then we spell it out and, you know, we expect our children to obey, right? You know what bothers me? Another problem I see in many 
lives is we expect our children to obey as we're disobeying ourselves. You know, dad's doing 80 and a 65. Well, I just don't like the speed limit. Okay, so you get to pick and choose which rules are good for you. Don't think children aren't smart enough to analyze this. Christ is highly exalted and sees all you do. And the fact that we are going to bow the knee and give an account of our life to him, we need to obey. But I love what Paul says to these Philippians. He says, wherefore, my beloved, a term of endearment to these Christians, as ye have always obeyed, not only in my presence, not as only in, in my presence, but now much more in my absence. You know, that's a great compliment. Paul says, while I was there, you were obeying. That's wonderful. But it's even more wonderful that now that I'm absent, you're still obeying Christ. You're still following. You ever hear the term, while the cat's away, the mice will play? I'm glad to the best of my knowledge that's not what happens here at Freedom Baptist Church, but people continue on, and I've heard good reports while I'm gone, and thank you for that. But let me tell you something. That's not the way it is everywhere. There's a lot of times whether it be at work, whether it be at church, or wherever, when the boss is away, or if the pastor's away, that people will start to do things their own way. I'm not going to sit here and spread gossip, but there is a church in town that I was familiar with the interim, who, to the best of my knowledge, and I don't know all the details, okay, but I, I did talk to him personally, and the church fired him as interim, and their youth pastor, and are totally without a pastor right now. Again, I've only heard one side of the story, so I don't want to get into gossiping, but it appears as though certain people get a little power hungry sometimes, and, you know, those that are now in charge have to flex their muscle. Folks, we need to be careful. But I'll tell you what it does. It harms the cause of Christ. We need to remember God is always watching. Proverbs 15, 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. If you have to start by doing this, maybe you need to remember he's watching and just not go ahead and say it. God rewards faithfulness. The Philippians are being more obedient now that Paul was gone than when he was there. He says, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. He says, you're being even more obedient now that I'm gone than when you were while I was there. Colossians 3, 23 and 24, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. I am glad God rewards faithfulness and not what the world considers success. I forget where I was recently. I've been asked, so how many you got at your church? I say, we're between 20 and 30. Sometimes I get the, oh, oh, well, isn't that insignificant, you know? <laughs> I'll be praying for you, brother. God will grow that church. Get that kind of response. It's just interesting, the attitude of, oh, I think I told you before, I had somebody come here once, and he sat me down in my office and said, Jim, what are you doing wrong? I think, what do you mean? 
He goes, you've been here, I think I was three or four years at the time. He goes, you should be running a buck and a half. That was the comment that was made. That still bugs me, referring to it as money instead of people. A buck and a half. He goes, and you only had like 30, 40 people. What's wrong? I don't know. I'm not trying to be arrogant at those times, but sometimes you ever feel like, what do you want from me? What do you expect? And I told him, I tried to be nice. I said, look, if I'm doing something wrong, please correct me. I said, I'm trying not to be arrogant here, but I thought this church belonged to Jesus Christ, not me. And he said he will grow his church. And I thought my responsibility was to be faithful. I said, if I'm doing something wrong, please show me I'm willing to make changes. Otherwise, why are you making such a comment? Our reward is according to the work we have done for Christ. You know, I'm not going to be rewarded for what so-and-so does. I'm going to be rewarded for what I've done. Now, and I will still say that, if I'm doing something wrong, by the way, and there's a way you, realize, you think, hey, pastor, you know, if you would change this, maybe things would be different. And you could show me that this is a legitimate thing. I'd be more than happy to listen, okay? Would I love to have more here? Yeah. But I'm thankful for each one of you. When I, we were recently in Pennsylvania, and the church we, went, we visited, one church we visited there, um, they used to support us, and I was asked to give a report of the church. And it was in the evening service, the morning service, the pastor, the preacher, uh, the assistant pastor was preaching. He said about church growth is not always numeric. Many times it's spiritual growth, and he says that matters more than numeric growth. So I was able to tell them, I said, while we may not be large in numbers, I said, I'm going to refer to what your preacher said this morning. I said, and I told him the testimony of Charlie and Aaron coming here, taking some of our Bible Institute classes. I said, guess who filled in for me last Sunday? They actually said amen. <laughs> in the Northern Church. That was a groundbreaking moment. But the point being is, we have seen spiritual growth. Going back to the idea of our work is or our reward is according to our work. First Corinthians three eight. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive a reward according to his own labor. You're rewarded according to your own labor. So, well, I'm not going to give an effort because nobody else does. No, you're going to be held accountable for you, not everybody else. But then he uses the phrase. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We work because we are saved, not to be saved. There are those who think that we must work in order to be saved. You know, in the Roman Catholic Church, you do the sacraments trying to earn grace. Aren't you glad we don't earn grace? Many religions teach a works. You have to work. You have to be good enough. You have to do certain things. And that leaves you truly hopeless because you're never sure whether you did just enough to get in. What a sad way to live. I'm glad that's not what the Bible teaches, aren't you? But then there are those that also think you must continue to work to stay in God's grace. The free will, whether it be free will Baptist or free will uh, Seventh-day Adventist or free will, whatever, I guess I forget what all has free will. But the idea of free will has the, usually has the concept in there that you can 
Sin your way out of salvation. I'm glad that's a false teaching, aren't you? Because there again, let's suppose I did choose to sin, and all of a sudden I died before I had a chance to get that right with God. That means at that moment I was unsaved again, and I ended up being damned to hell. That doesn't even make sense, does it? You know, when you think that through, that really goes against the grace of God and the character of God, does it not? So when Paul says, work out your own salvation, he's not saying, now keep, keep being good little boys and girls so you can all make it into heaven. I'm glad that's not what he's teaching, aren't you? But how can I see, I'll pick on Al and Stephanie since they've been talking How can I see Stephanie's a Christian? Can I look in her heart and see, yep, there dwells the Holy Spirit of God? Okay. Is it because she comes to church, dresses right, cleans the church, sings, sings here, so therefore she must be a Christian, right? She does all these right things. No. Okay, so how can I tell she's a Christian? Or what gives evidence that she's a Christian? Because some people can... What I meant by saying all those right things is that doesn't, there's people who can be phony about it, right? Okay. But I am a fruit inspector, right? Because by their works, or by their fruit, you shall know them, right? Okay. So it's not just what she does. It's the attitude with what she's doing it. In other words, if everything she does, she's griping and complaining and moaning and whining, but she's doing it because I was told to, would that really give evidence of a true conversion? No. But if she's doing it because she loves Christ, doing it to the absolute best of her ability, and she does it with a smile, now it doesn't mean she can't have a bad day, okay? Give her a break once in a while. Not to please men, but to please Christ. Now, I can't actually see that, but I can see evidence of that by the attitude with which it's done, by the excellence with which it's done. You say, what do you mean? Do I do just enough to say, I did my job, I'm going home? Or do I do things with a spirit of excellence? Because I should do all as unto Christ. Well, if I'm doing my work as unto Christ, then I'm going to do excellent, the best I can, Okay. You follow what I'm saying? Now, does that give evidence of a true conversion? If that's being done on a consistent basis, the answer would be yes. That would be working out my salvation. If I have a true heart for the lost and I'm, I'm sharing the gospel with others, that's a true evidence that there's been a conversion in my heart, right? Because lost people aren't concerned about lost people but a christian should be ought to be right okay so working out my salvation is not working for salvation it's working because i am saved obviously ephesians 2 8 and 9 teach us that salvation is not of works for by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves is the gift of god not of works lest any man should boast but after we're saved, we show our faith. So again, I already referred to Matthew 7, 20, wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. James puts it this way, and let's go over there for just a few moments, please. 
James chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. What's the prophet, my brethren, though man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Okay, so James is not contradicting the teachings of Paul. Matter of fact, the passage we're looking at of Paul actually is a complementary of this, that working out our salvation is not working to be saved, but rather showing our work showing our faith in Christ. So James says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Okay? Al, you have faith, I have works. James' answer then is, Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. The faith is already there. Okay? So we're not talking about salvation. So, Al, without doing any work, show me your faith. Kind of ridiculous statement when you think about it, isn't it? But now I'll show you my faith by my works, by what I do. And that's exactly what this passage is teaching. Now, let's, let's bring the rubber down to the road for just a moment. When you face a crisis in life and you're falling apart, what does the world see? You have no faith in the God you claim to trust. I want you to think about that for a moment. But, when a crisis of life comes, and I can still demonstrate my faith in God by the way I react to the crisis, that will show others my faith, right? So if I say I truly believe there is a heaven and a hell, and those do not receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior will spend eternity in hell, but I never share the gospel, what am I truly telling the lost world? It doesn't matter. I don't care. I don't really actually believe it. Do you follow? That if I am going to show them my faith, what I truly believe, it will result in action. The action is what shows them that my faith is real. To say it is one thing. To act upon it is another. To have it in my head is wonderful. But until it affects my hands and feet and makes me do the things that I ought to do, it's a total another thing. Do you get it? This is what it means working out our salvation. Let me tell you something. People say, I don't have time. I don't have money. I don't have whatever. I get it, okay? But every one of us has the same 24 hours in a day. And every one of us is broke just at different levels, okay? But you will make time for what's important to you, and you invest in what's important to you. You will make time for what's important to you, and you will invest in what's important to you. If you never make time to share the gospel, then my question, is it truly important to you? If you don't give to your local church, then I ask, is it truly important to you? Is that a fair question? I think it is. Because you will make time for what's important to you, and you will invest in what's important to you, period. 
I don't care how broke you are, you will prioritize what's important to you in your life. And if it is not the things of God, then don't tell me how much you love God because you're not showing me. You're not working out your own salvation. In other words, you're not showing the evidence that you believe what you claim you believe. Therefore, he says, now let's look at the end of the verse. Let's go back to Philippians now. The end of verse 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 9, 26 and 27. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means I have, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul says, I keep my body in subjection. I continue to run. I continue to do the things I know I need to do so that I don't end up being a castaway. We hear way too many accounts of preachers having an affair, of churches being destroyed by gossip and dissension among the brethren. And we hear too much of this stuff happening. You know, I don't think anybody sets out to say, I'm going to destroy my church. It's not my church anyhow, it's God's church, but you know what I'm saying, the church in which I'm a member. I don't think anybody sets out to say that. But they allow little things to slip. They're not guarding their heart. They're not walking with God as they ought to be. They're not working out their salvation. And then, little by little, the carnality starts to set in. And next thing you know, many lives have been affected. But servants should have an attitude of fear and trembling. Ephesians 6, 5, Servants, be obedient to them that your masters according to flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of heart as unto Christ. Now, it should not be a fear of abuse or loss of salvation, but rather a fear of not hearing well done or not pleasing him. Does it bring fear in your mind to think that if I am not obedient to Christ, I can stand before him someday and not hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant? That should bring fear to your heart, should it not? Could you imagine? Well, that was disappointing but enter into the kingdom. That would be horrible words to hear, wouldn't it? So let's go to the second point in the short time we have. The working of God in you. The working out of our salvation is accomplished by God, allowing God to work in us. Verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. It's God working in in you. We are not sufficient in ourselves to do God's work. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. But you know how we live way too often? I got this. I was talking with a man the other day who was asking for some advice, and he said, you know, the problem is he says, I find in my life, sometimes when I go out talking, about, pe talking to people about the Lord, if I'm preparing a Bible study lesson or anything else, he says, I've done it so often, I can do it without taking time 
to, re- to ensure that I'm doing it in the power of God. You know, that's a danger, folks. I could stand up here and preach a message. I can put together a, do all the mechanics of putting together a message and stand up here and preach it. Because I've done it enough, I could do it in the flesh. But you know what the problem with that is? It would be worthless. And there is a danger, folks, of, of, realize, of stepping away and not realizing everything I do needs to be God working in me. And if I'm not doing it in the power of God, it is worthless. For without him, we can do nothing. So we must continually be submitted to the Holy Spirit of God and be filled with him. Galatians 2.20 I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You and I need to realize daily, I am to die to self, alive in Christ. Die to self, alive in Christ. It's Christ in me. Christ in me. As the song says, it's no longer I who liveth, but Christ who liveth in me. God will accomplish his purpose in your life as you submit to him. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The will has the idea of a wish or desire. Psalm 37, 4, God will give you the proper desires. And worketh has the idea to do, uh, worketh and to do rather, are the same root word, which is used in James 5, 16, translated availeth much. So the words worketh and to do, and the words availeth much in James 5, all from the same root word, generally speaking of supernatural activity. But remember, it's God's work that is accomplished. In other words, it's God doing his work in and through us. Now, it involves effort. We still need to study our Bibles. We need to pray. We need to be faithful to church. We need to be faithful witnesses. Yes, it involves effort, but we need to realize the power of it comes from God working in me. And our service pleases him. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We will have true joy when we obey him and allow him to live in and through us. Is that not the theme of the whole book? Having true joy? So we're to work out our salvation, not for our salvation. We accomplish this by allowing God to work in us. So we need to learn to submit to him and allow him complete control of our lives. Allow him to live in us and through us. Christian, are we truly seeing God working in us? Not me working in me, but God working in me.